Well, good morning and happy new year. Thanks for being with us this morning. And we do apologize for all the crazy feedback issues we're having this morning. But hey, I guess it's not a Sunday unless we have tech issues, right? Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Maybe we'll get some light on in the room uh, so that you can see your Bible. And um, before we get into the text, let's pray uh, for the blessing of the Lord to be with us this morning as we dive into his word. Father, we do love you and we thank you for a new year. Lord, I ask that you would crown this year with your goodness, uh, that we would taste and see that you and your word are in fact so good and sweet. Lord, I pray that you would be the hope that we are anchored upon, that you would be the source of our livelihood, our love, our compassion, our faithfulness. I pray that you would be the source and the root. Lord, I pray this morning as we dive into your word that you would have uh, something to say to each one of us. Uh, Lord, that you would have the final say in our hearts this morning. Lord, I ask that um, as we approach a difficult text, Lord, that you would be gracious to us and that you would be kind uh, Lord, that those of us who are uh, stuck listening to voices that we ought not, Lord, that you would be tender and caring towards us. Lord, I pray that you would speak deeply and, and richly into our lives this morning. Lord, I ask that you would give me grace to preach. Lord, that you would put a gatekeeper at my mouth and protect this congregation from my opinions or my thoughts, but Lord, let your thoughts, which are higher than ours, speak boldly and richly into our hearts. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we give you our attention this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's read together 1 Kings chapter 13, starting in verse 11. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. 
And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your father's. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. And the lion also stood beside the body. This is God's word. Uh, When I was in high school, I was a pretty unmotivated person to do any type of good in school, and it's because uh, I wanted to be a rock star, and so you don't need a degree to be a rock star. I wanted people to sing my songs and to know my face and my name, Uh, and so I really had no care for the things of school, Uh, and so my dad thought maybe I just needed a little bit of extra motivation, so what he did is he signed us up to go to a motivational speakers conference. Have you ever been to one of those? Right, so it's got it's all these people who are rich and famous and uh, extremely hyper successful in their line of work, and they're there to tell you how to get rich and be successful in your line of work. And I'll never forget, there was a speaker who got up on stage and he's telling everybody the keys to his success and giving everybody tips like even if it takes uh, eighteen hour. Uh, days, seven days a week, and you forsake your social life and your family, do whatever you can to put yourself ahead, to be successful. That's the key to happiness in life. And I'll never forget it. He turns to the crowd and he goes, we all know what God says in the Bible. God helps those who, and then he points at the crowd for a response. And I, being naive to what everybody else thought about what the word of God said, said, God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's what everybody else said. I said, help others. And I think I was the only one in the room who said that. And it bothered me that everybody in the crowd said that God helps those who help themselves because I was raised in church. And I knew my Bible pretty well. And I don't remember ever reading that verse. And so later that night I got home and this is the age of Google, so I just Googled it. And it turns out it's, it's the long lost verse of the Bible that never existed. And yet a stadium full of people believed that that was the word of the Lord. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. That not every voice is worthy of betting on. Not not every voice that speaks from a position of authority or title deserves or is worthy of your ear and your trust. All those people in the stadium around me, they all believed something was the word of God, but it was not. A stadium full of people had been deceived into believing that God just wanted people to help themselves and that he would help them do it. So not every voice is worth being bet on, but there is one voice that we can be assured is worth going all in on. The context of our passage that we didn't read for time's sake, Israel as a nation had divided into two. 
David had died and Solomon had died and his son Rehoboam was the king. And there was difficulty in the land, so much so that uh, Israel split into two, into the northern and the southern kingdom. Now, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, he was the king of the southern kingdom. And in the northern kingdom, there was a man named Jeroboam, and he became king over the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam had a problem right off the bat. He had a fear. He was worried and nervous that if the people in his part of the kingdom went down into the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was and they worshiped God in that temple, the text says that he was concerned that the hearts of the people would be turned back to the, to the line and the throne of David. And so he's concerned about his power. And so he's going to do whatever it takes to keep that power. And so Jeroboam does something extremely foolish. He creates altars and builds golden calves and sets up priests of his own where the people don't have to leave the northern kingdom to go worship, but they can worship right there at those altars. And as a matter of fact, he begins doing the work of a priest making offerings and sacrifices, which it's a big no-no. And this is where the man of God, who's really kind of the hero of our story, gets introduced. Jeroboam has set up these false altars and uh, these golden calves and these false priests that weren't from the line of Levi. And the man of God is introduced, and he has this task that God has raised him up to do. And God raises him up and says, go to Jeroboam and prophesy against his, his line and against his altar. That's a hard task. It's not just going to your neighbor and confronting them about their sin. This was going to a king who had power and an army. So he already has a hard task. But not only does he have a hard task, but he has difficult conditions to do them under. And you know what that is? He's not allowed to eat or drink during his journey, which was at least 20 miles round trip. 20 miles, no eating, no drinking. And so his conditions, don't eat, don't drink, and take a different way home, make this task a little bit more difficult. And so the man of God arrives on the scene, and I love that his name is the man of God. He doesn't even have an actual name in the text, but this is the way that the author of 1 Kings wants us to know him by, is that this was a man who was about the things of God. He was about the things of God. This is how he was known, not a name, not really a title, but who he was was a man after God who wanted to live and did live righteously. And so the man of God arrives on the scene, catches Jeroboam red-handed making an offering, and he cries out to the altar and prophesies that this altar will fail, and the bones of the priests will be burned upon it, and there will be a king named Josiah who will come and overturn all of the evil that Jeroboam was doing. And so... Like most kings, they don't really like to hear about their downfall. And he gets very upset by this prophecy. And so Jeroboam stretches out his arm and points his finger at the man of God and says, seize him. And at that moment, the word of God says that his arm was shriveled, like it atrophied, and he couldn't bring it back into his body. And he cries out to the man for mercy, and he says, entreat your God. Ask your God for me to heal me. 
And graciously, the prophet does do that. And his arm is healed. And this, the king, Jeroboam, is so grateful in his heart, and maybe even looking for an inn with this prophet, says, thank you, come back to my house. Eat with me, I'll give you a meal. And matter of fact, I'm not just going to give you a meal, I'm going to give you a reward. But the man of God has heard the word of the Lord. Don't eat. Don't drink. Go back a different way. And so in pretty epic fashion, the man of God rejects this king's offer, which really kind of sounds more like a bribe, right? This king's offer for food and a reward, he kind of like kicks up some dust on the king and he says, even if you gave me half of everything that you own, I would still not come home and eat a meal with you because God said. The more I read about this man of God, the more I like him, right? He's like, he's like the guy. He's, he's this guy that you and I, as we're reading the beginning part of chapter 13, really should be striving to be like a man or a woman of God that is about the things of God that desires more than anything else, more than food, more than water, more than a reward to be faithful to God. This man is all in on God's word. Like as you read this story, he just kind of has this resolve in his heart that you can see that he is going to do what God has commanded and it's a resolve that you and I should really strive for, right? It's, it's January 1st. We make resolutions. The root word of that is resolve, which means to make an inner firm decision in yourself that this is what you're going to do, right? So whether it's going to the gym five days a week or reading at least one book every month, like we make these resolutions and this man of God had resolved, had an inner stance in his heart, that he was not going to turn away from the word of the Lord, that he was going to do exactly what God had told him to do in exactly the way that God told him to do it. Now, you and I do not have direct, audible, divine revelation like this prophet did. But we do have something that I would argue is better. His word. Which isn't just a passing audible voice that you hear once, but a book that you can go back to time and time again. God's very word has been given to you and to me, not the thoughts of men, but the high, lofty thoughts of God for us to read, to believe, to treasure, to enjoy, to cling to, and to live. And there are and will be times when you, as a man or a woman of God, will have this same certainty that we see the prophet have in, in the first 10 verses. That this is God's word, that it is true, that God has not changed his mind on what he has spoken, but then there will also be times that we question and we doubt, and we second guess, and we even maybe ignore, and really in a practical way we bet against the word of God. See, the tension that you and I should feel as we read this passage, 
where we have this man of God who is so absolutely sure of God's word into the passage that we read where he doubts and gambles against God's word and ends up getting eaten by a, or killed by a lion. The tension we should feel is that in the span of just a few hours, we're not talking days or weeks or months or years where his faith failed. We're talking about hours in one day. A man of God, somebody defined as someone who is about the things of God, goes from defying the invitation of a king to defying God, which led to his demise. And if this man of God can be tricked into betting against God's word, then so can you. And that's the tension that we should be feeling as we read this passage. See, in verses 11 through 15, and let's, let's look at it again together. This is what the word says. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. Remember that. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And so they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said, come home with me and eat bread. So this old prophet Maybe he hasn't heard a word from the Lord in a long time. Maybe he's just trying to be in the company of other holy men. But the reality is that this old man, he had two sons who had seen the entire interaction between the man of God and King Jeroboam, where Jeroboam's arm was shriveled and then healed. And then he was invited back to his home with the king to eat bread and drink water. And the man refused, stating the word of the Lord came to me and told me, do not eat it or drink in this place. And so I believe that uh, as this man of God is hearing about all of the things that has, had happened, he heard about the parameters that God had set on the man of God's actions. But self-centered, for whatever reason it might have been, had deceit in his heart. He had a lie ready to go in the chamber. And so he goes after the man of God. And, and I think it's an important detail where the man of God is found. He is no longer walking down the road. He's sitting, resting underneath a great oak tree. I think this is an important detail. I mean, he's, he's walked at least, at least 10 miles with no food and no water underneath the scorching Middle Eastern sun. He was tired. And he sat under that oak to rest because he had followed God's command to a T and he had become exhausted. Church, following God's commands can oftentimes be exhausting. And I don't know if there's another word to use there other than fatigue or tiredness. 
Like it can be exhausting, just to name a few things, to continue fighting for the long-term health of your marriage with a spouse that maybe you don't like this morning. It can be exhausting to be present as a parent for your children after a long, frustrating day of work. It would be far easier to just kick up your feet and watch TV. It can be exhausting to keep the marriage bed pure in your singleness. And it can be exhausting to be kind to those in your house when you're hungry. Matter of fact, we have a word for that. It's called being hangry. And we use it as an excuse to mistreat people in our lives because we haven't had food in a while. See, it is in your fatigue, in your exhaustion, that your temptation to rebel against the word of the Lord will become very, very strong. Okay? Uh, What was once an easy no in your fatigue, in your exhaustion, becomes a question mark. Is God giving me a break? Does that command really apply to me today, in today's culture? I'm tired of doing it this way. Is it really that big of a deal? Or, I think as Satan might ask, did God really say? Hasn't that been the plan of the enemy since the garden? It's to bring mankind that question. Did God really say? And it's in your exhaustion. It was Eve as she looked at the fruit that was good for eating. That that question, did God really say, really begins to put some question marks in our hearts. I mean, how many young Christian men and women unequally yoke themselves to a non-believer because they got tired of waiting? It seemed like the Christian dating pool had just kind of dried up on them. And so they compromised. And they said, well, I know what God's word says about not being unequally yoked, but I just feel like God brought this person into my life for a reason. Exhaustion, church, muddies the clear waters of God's word. Exhaustion muddies the clear waters of God's word. And one thing you'll notice in the passage is that the man of God has not said yes yet. But by nature of the passage and the way that it moves, you can tell that his exhaustion has kind of greased the wheels For him to disobey the direct word of the Lord. Church, you and I, we will have long days and sleepless nights, times of hunger and thirst, anxiousness that leads to exhaustion, and dare I say, long-term obedient suffering for the sake of the Lord that is taxing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. 
And this isn't really something that we can ultimately like totally avoid. You and I will have long days. We will get tired. But, but there are ways to mitigate it to a point. And we need to be aware it's, that it's in these moments that the enemy may whisper to you, did God really say? And it's the reason that you need spaces in your life of refreshment and restoration. Following Jesus is not always easy. Exhaustion in life is a guarantee. And so one next step that I want to encourage you to take today is to, in this new year, to join a life group. Life groups are designed here at our church to be places where you can be spiritually refreshed, to engage with your doubts, to be encouraged by other believers and their fellowship, to, to, to talk of spiritual things and to uh, encourage one another and build one another up. Like, you need a space where you can be spiritually refreshed and restored. And there are other steps that you can take too, like getting a good night's rest and, and putting that as a priority and not something that you kind of need but kind of don't. Is it not true that when you're tired and hungry, you are far more prone to sin, far more prone to live a, in a way that is against the word of God? It's just reality. And so you need to take steps to refresh and restore yourself. The world is not going to do it for you. And so let me encourage you to, to join a life group or, or find a space where you feel touches your soul and lifts it back up when it's getting weary. But the man initially refuses, which is good news. But it doesn't last, does it? Verse 16 says, and he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there. Nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. This is just a depressing part of the passage. It's like you see this man of God who has been strong this entire chapter, it's like you're just kind of like rooting for him like the hero, and then the hero fails. See, after the man's initial refusal to eat bread and drink water because of the word of the Lord, the old prophet does something that is grossly evil, and we see it all over the world today, and we see it in the church, and we see it in the home, and we see it in the schools. He uses his office, his position, his title, his spiritual authority to get what he wants. What's the first thing he says to rebuttal what the man of God has said? I also am a prophet. And he then says, I know that you received a word from the Lord, but I received a word from an angel, which is a lesser authority in the first place. 
And the angel said otherwise. The angel was sent from God and, and said, no, he can come eat and drink. See, church, titles do not equal trustworthiness. You know there's a reason that whenever I get the opportunity to preach, at the beginning of my message I say, if you have your Bible, turn to. It's because I want you to see it for yourself that it's there. Don't just trust my word. Don't, don't just trust me or just blindly trust Aaron or any other pastor that you'll someday have. Because titles do not equal trustworthiness. Every man of God, every prophet, pastor, priest is still a human being. And not only can they get it wrong, but a lot of them abuse their titles and their positions of authority to get what they want. Titles do not equal trustworthiness. In fact, titles often lead to abusing those who trust in the title. This old prophet, he, he was a prophet in title, but he was a dishonest man. And ultimately, at the end of the passage we read, it, it caused the demise of a man of God. See, there are many voices in this world. There will be many voices in your life that claim to have authority, that claim to have a word from God. But here is a rule of thumb that we need to take with us Whatever we think or whatever somebody tells us is that God never disagrees with himself. God never disagrees with himself. There is no shift in the mind of God. There are no contradictions or errors in him. Nothing he will tell his children to do, he will pull the rug out from underneath and walk back his word. But in your life, there are and will be a multitude of voices trying to give you a transcendent message from a seat of authority. And if I could just name one quickly, and I think it's the worst one there is today, the worst liar there is, is yourself. We lie to ourselves so often. We, we live in the age of follow your heart. But the word of God says the heart is deceitful, among all other things. And, and so what is our standard for understanding what is the truth? What is God asking you and I to do? Because a lie is powerful if it's believed. And we see that play out in the rest of this story. And you and I might sit here and we, sit, we might say, oh, what a stupid prophet. What a dummy. Like he had, he had the direct revelation from God himself. He heard his voice. How did he fall? Well, I mean, the same way that the Israelites as they're leaving Egypt fell. They saw the pillar of cloud in the day. They saw the pillar of fire in the night. They saw the sea part. They heard the booming voice of the Lord from Mount Sinai as he descended on it in smoke and fire. And we might say, well, those were stupid Israelites too. They should have known better too. And yet you and I make the same mistake all the time. The church is rampant with bad theology. Lies about what God has said 
like God helps those who help themselves. And you and I have his written word, something that we can look through and search. We don't have to go by memory. We can look at it and underline and highlight and reread it as many times as it takes for us to get it. See, I think the prophet's enemy in this passage is not really this old prophet. I don't think the old prophet meant to have this guy killed. The enemy in this passage is the prophet's own uncertainty. Those question marks that began to stir in his soul. It was uh, A.W. Tozer who, in his book, The Pursuit of God, said this, Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word. And and so the question, of course, becomes, well, how do we discern the lie? How can we be certain? And, And the trick is not by knowing every way that the enemy can deceive. It's not by knowing every lie that might be thrown at you but rather it is by firmly knowing, believing, and living what God has revealed in his word. It it all comes back to this. And another next step that you can take today to start off your year, and I want to really encourage you and push you towards this, is to resolve, right? Decide to, to complete a Bible reading plan. That's, that's the next step today. It's to get in the book. Like if you don't join a life group, at least do this next step. Get into the book because it's how we know the truth from a lie. We filter it through the word of God. This book is like a strainer. Y'all know how the strainer works, right? It's like you get your spaghetti and your water and you're trying to get rid of the water and keep the spaghetti. This helps us keep the spaghetti. Okay, And this is our standard for truth. So when our heart tells us, did God really say that? Are we sure that's the way that he wants us to live? We can filter it directly through this book, which is why it's so important to know it. And not only that, but it's important to know the word because if we ignore it, if we put it aside if we question it and second guess it and doubt it and follow the voice of another, like this prophet, it can lead to our demise. In verse 20, it says, And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed, and that word in Hebrew is far more often translated rebelled, a strong word. Because you have rebelled against the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but you have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road. And killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it, and the lion also stood beside the body. 
This is a depressing story to read. (laughs) The hero has utterly failed because he trusted the wrong voice. The, The man of God chose, made a decision to distrust what God had told him and trusted a lying prophet instead. The the old prophet here at the dinner table receives a word from the Lord for real this time that the man of God is not going to enter the tomb of his fathers. Or in other words, he's going to die and he's going to die tragically. He's not going to make it back home. Which I imagine kind of put an awkward tension at that dinner party. Uh, At first this man said, hey, God told me that you can come eat bread and drink water with me. I actually got a word from the Lord this time. Because you came back and ate bread and drank water with me, you're not going to make it home. It's an awkward spin on the dinner party. And on his way home, a lion, a predator that kills to eat, kills but does not eat the man or the donkey. And the donkey and the lion stand next to the body almost as if God is saying, he messed up. Now, it frustrates me a little bit that the lying prophet in this story seems to kind of get off scot-free, right? Isn't he the one that sinned in a greater way? He lied in the name of God. He said, God told me by an angel that you're supposed to come with me, and he abused his title as a prophet to get what he wanted. So it's frustrating to me as I read that the lying prophet just kind of seems to get off, nothing happens to him in this story. But here's something for all of us to understand from this. It is that those who are fooled are those who get bit. That's what happens in life. It is those who are fooled by liars and abusive people. They are the ones that ultimately suffer. And it's a sad thing. Now, I I, I guarantee that the lying prophet was judged at some point. Because we know that no, no sin goes unaccounted for. God knows every single one and he is a just God. So it's, it's either paid for in hell forever, here in this life temporarily, or at the cross. But the author of 1 Kings is trying to make a point. That when you are deceived, and you are tricked into rebelling against the word of the Lord, you are the one who suffers. I, th- I think of all of these poor souls who are caught up in the cult of the prosperity gospel that preaches that the end of all things is that Christ died so that you could be rich here on earth with a big bank account. A lie. And so many people have been bit by it, have sold out their lives for prosperity's sake. I think of all the poor men and women in abusive marriages where maybe the husband says you can't separate from me you can't divorce me because then God will hate you and so these poor women are stuck in these abusive marriages for decades because they believed a lie see it's when we get fooled that's when we get bit The lion waits for you. 
And, and this is why it is so important. It's why I'm stressing today as we start this new year to know God's word and to believe it and to live it because it is a guardrail, or rather, I would say, it is a cage that keeps the lions at bay. When we trust in God's word and we live God's word, it is a cage that keeps the lions at bay. See, what really happens in this story as we close is that the man of God made a bet. Really, he, he rolled the dice. He, he made a stupid gamble against the word of the Lord, much like you and I do at times. We question if God's commands are relevant, if they are true, if judgment is really real, if the gospel of Christ and his love for you rests upon your life by faith. What we see in this story is that this man of God went all in on the wrong voice, and he went bust. He lost it all. Because church, God's word is a stacked deck, and it's a fool's errand to bet against it. Because God is holy, he never lies, he never contradicts himself, never walks back a promise, and so there is a, a perfect certainty about God's word. There is a perfect certainty about God's word. His promises, his prophecies, his judgment, his redemption, his gospel. And, and perhaps some or many of you have been living in that same space as the man of God in this uncertainty. Did God really say? But let me challenge you in this new year to be all in on his word. It is perfectly certain. It is a stacked deck. What he says is ultimately what is. What God calls sin will ultimately lead to destruction. What he calls righteous ultimately leads to life. And so this morning as we close, me encourage you and press upon you to anchor your life in his perfectly certain word. Know it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that it is certain and that it is true. Lord, that out of such a dark and really depressing story where we see the hero of the story fail so miserably, Lord, that we can see that there is a redemptive quality to this. Lord, let this story push us in our souls in this new year towards your word. Lord, that we would trust in you more than we trust in the voice in our own hearts, more than we trust the voice of a pastor or a priest or a 
somebody who says that they're a prophet. Help us to trust in you, to be all in on what you say. Lord, out of all the voices that vie for our attention, Lord, let your word be true. And let every man be a liar. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, to stake our lives upon you and what you have said. Lord, speak deeply into our lives. Lord, and we ask that you would bless us this year as we do that, as we lean in and trust in you. Where all the voices are telling us otherwise, help us to listen to your voice. Lord, we do ask that you would bless us in this new year as we go all in on your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, uh, as we wrap up the service, um, we do have our connection cards and we're gonna take offering in just a second. But you should have also received a little playing card. And what I want you to do is nothing special really, but I just want you to keep it. On, on each of your cards, there is a verse on it. And I am praying that that verse would speak to you in this next year. So whether you post it onto your refrigerator or leave it on your nightstand or put it in your wallet, let that verse, and it's just a snippet of each verse because the cards are only so big. I am praying that that verse would speak to you time and time again in this new year. That the Lord would remind and encourage you of what he has said in his word. He is a sure and a steady anchor. And so as we uh, close, let's take a moment to respond to God's word on our connection cards. I gave you two next steps. Pick one of them, write it down, let me know what it is so that Pastor Aaron and I and Caleb can be praying for you uh, as we begin this new year, that God's truth would sink deep into your soul. So let's take a moment and then we'll sing a song of response.